0: For our visitors, uh, we we've been looking at the life of Moses, um, but uh, today we're going to slightly divert uh, away from that um, to look at the Ten Commandments, um, uh, and really, it's, as we look at them, it, it's it's our behaviour uh, towards God, towards each other, uh, and our thoughts. So, if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to come up there anyway. It's Exodus 20. Uh, verses 1 to 17 is it? Is, it hmm? is it oh it's on right how's that okay so let's just read these uh, words together um, well I'll read and you you, you you follow and God spoke all of these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down uh, to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless (coughs) who misuses his name remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within the gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. So those were the ten uh, commandments, um, and they cover virtually every aspect of our life. But there are only ten commandments. I put this up for Fleur and Rupert, because I thought if you realise that um, uh, pizza and chocolates were against the law that would just about destroy your life. But those are, are the law. That's what... Uh, uh, we're having uh, we're looking at the law and we're looking at one of the things that have so first of all the first four uh, direct our thoughts uh, to um, our attitude and to God our attitude the first four are God-centered the remaining six uh, are really uh, how, how we behave towards each other and our thoughts uh, that prompt our actions First of all, it's to our God and Saviour. He who took his, thought, his people from, in, from slavery into freedom. He's our God. He loves us and wants our complete love in return. This is just like, you know, it sounds awful. I'm a jealous God and you will only worship me. But actually, the marriage ceremony, the marriage, is actually seen as typifying what God's love is for us. Just think of of, uh, those of you who are married or have been married, or even those of you who hope to marry. Uh, This is just like a couple. They love each other, uh, and they want to be devoted to each other, to the exclusion, as the marriage service says, to all others. When I married Maureen, I married her and her alone. Um, And she married me and me alone. I had a bit more hair then but this is, what, this is what we married each other. There weren't other boyfriends and other girlfriends. There weren't other relationships. So on our wedding day we promised to keep ourselves for ourselves. I promised that I would keep myself solely for Maureen and she did the same for wife. In the same way God is also wants our love and worship to be exclusively his. Do you understand that? And he will not tolerate worship of other gods now i'm not going to go through all of the commandments one by one and and work them through and explain them because it would take far too long so i'm just going to encapsulate the thoughts and feelings uh, around it and really what why they led up to it first of all we had pharaoh who was the god and the king If this seems strange, uh, this, this focus solely on God, we must remember that in Egypt, Pharaoh was a supreme leader. And he was also worshipped as a god. And he tolerated no opposition either. But through Moses, God had demonstrated through the plagues that he, Jehovah, was mightier than Pharaoh and all his gods. He showed that by his plagues. To the Israelites, the power of Jehovah was visible for every eye to see when he parted the sea to enable them to escape Pharaoh's pursuing army. And for the Israelites to witness the destruction of this elite force seeking to take them back into captivity. They saw the power and the might of God. So the question comes, why then did they need the Ten Commandments worthwhile asking that why do you need this why did God need to bring the Ten Commandments into being the purpose of course was to turn the Israelites into a secure nation living in peace with God and each other they were in captivity for over 400 years during that time there were no patriarchs there was no Abraham no Isaac there was no Jacob There was no Joseph to protect them uh, and and, and oversee them. They were very much on their own. So up until now, this generation of Israelites had all been born into and known only slavery. Their will had been ground down by increasing oppression and brutality. They had little or no self-determination. Choice for them was very limited. That's who they were. That's what their experience was. We don't know how long the slavery went on for, but it was for probably two or three generations. But now, God had saved them from slavery and given them freedom. Freedom, however, does not come without cost. True freedom means an exchange. You were here now you're there a price has to be paid in this case it was the blood of a lamb that was slain and sprinkled over the doorposts now they had God as their head but the price of their freedom was trust and obedience in God The Israelites, as we heard last week, soon demonstrated that when food or water was scarce or the first signs of hardship, and we'll see more of that later on, or danger, they would look back and prefer slavery to freedom. They would look back to Egypt. It was better for us when we were back there. At least we had spring onions and celery and stuff like that. All we're getting now is just these quiet that keep dropping out of the air and manna. That's it. We had all sorts of selection of things. So it was easier, really, to get the people out of Egypt than it was to get Egypt out of them. Mm -hmm. The same, really, is with new Christians. This is sometimes a factor in the lives of new Christians. They repent, they turn away from sin, they take upon a new life with Jesus. In effect, they turn away from slavery. What were they in slavery to? Well, to temper or addictions or lust or self-seeking. They've turned away from that and take on a new life of grace and freedom in Jesus. But anybody that's discipled or uh, had any contact with new Christians will know that old habits die hard. And it can be a struggle to let the peace of God and his Holy Spirit rule and reign in our lives. This is why discipling uh, is so important, not just to teach new Christians uh, to keep turning away from harmful influences, but to provide support and friendship, to be a buddy when the going gets tough. Terry Virgo writes in his book that when he uh, became a Christian, he had to turn his back on a whole lifestyle and take on a new one. And he said, I was quite lonely. I really missed those times when i used to mix with my friends and go down the pub and go down to jazz concerts and things like that the israelites were now free from slavery but they have to start thinking and acting for themselves in a bewildering range of free choice that we take for granted today they had freedom in a way that they'd never experienced before this is a university, and in a few weeks' time, in two or three weeks' time, what is it? They, they come back. Twenty-third. Twenty-third. Right, twenty-third. This place will be filled up with seven or 8,000 students living in. Many of them will be young people who will be moving away from home and be starting an independent life, away from the love and the care and the restrictions of home. As they go to university, there will be no one to make sure that they get up, wash, and <laughs> feed themselves regularly. And, and we've had some students like this, haven't we? Yes, uh, one of them particularly comes in uh, most well, on Sundays, about 11 o'clock. Oh, we know that didn't go off. Um, and we're used to that. I don't know if he washed or not, but that's not here nor there. Um, but they've got to do these things for themselves, <coughs> keeping their room tidy producing work on time. They will have to learn a new set of disciplines in work, in study, and in leisure. With whom will they associate? How much will they drink? What's their attitudes to substance mis- abuse? How far to go in personal relationships? Even if their parents have put in clear moral values, many young people will have to, still have to make uh, and have a difficult time making appropriate choice, and we see that so regularly here amongst us. So then, what is the significance of us for us today? Are the commandments another set of rules, or they, do they have a relevance for us today? If they are just a framework for an emerging nation all those years ago? What is our relevance today? Well, first of all, the values that they encapsulate are not in any way dated. They still apply. In fact, if you look at some of the rules and the laws that followed these commandments, you will find that many of our laws in this country are based upon them. So, for instance, if I just cite one, there's one that says about dangerous animals. What do you do if you've got a dangerous bull and it gores someone? Um, actually that, that law still follows through today uh, it, with our dangerous animals but also with pets you know, you're allowed one bite but two bites and the dog goes to doggy heaven um, it, 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 it's, it's dealt with um, sorry if I sending an uh, animal lovers there I've got lost myself now <laughs> so how can we best sum up uh, this passage that's not the end, by the way, It's just me, how can we sum up this passage, uh, in case you get excited. Um, I've got ages yet, I'm only on page four. Um, so how can we sum up this passage? How so well known, at least in part, to virtually every person in this country? Well, first of all, it's not just a series of negatives. It's not just a lot of shall-nots. Actually, it releases us to do all the other things That are not forbidden. So, at first sight, the commandments seem to be negatives. In fact, the word you shall not appears nine times in ten laws. But we can forget that actually a negative command is far more liberating than a positive one. A positive command restricts life to that one course of action, whereas a negative command leaves life open to every course of action except one. So just for a moment, I want you to imagine a vast pleasure park. You're entering this pleasure park, and if you've got children with you, there are rides and things that you can go on and things that you can do. There are big dippers and water shoots and there are roundabouts and everything. that you And those little horsey things that go up and down that you like so much. The carousels. All right. Um, uh, uh, yeah, she loves them. And, and, uh, and, and, and they're all free. You can go on them as often as you like. uh, however many times you want and there isn't your mum and dad to say you can only go on twice because you'll be sick and I know what you're like and there's none of that and and there are fish and chip short stores and burger bars and and everything you want it's all there and it's all free Uh, you're getting into this aren't you (laughs) but uh, there is one little coconut shy tucked away at the back and you can't go on that the negative is, you cannot go on the coconut shy, but everything else is available to you. Did you understand that? The negative gives you more freedom than the positive. Does that make sense? Right, come back now for a pleasure part. Actually, in the Garden of Eden, it was exactly the same. God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which left open every other tree and shrub and everything else that was in that garden was theirs does that make sense Mm. so the commandments say you shall not do this but actually everything else is open to you the commandments therefore require love and obedience love for God And obedience to these commandments would enable us to live in peace with our fellow man. Jesus was once asked uh, what one had to do to inherit eternal life. His reply was to love God with all your heart and love one's neighbor as yourself. To love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said this. No, he won't. I'll read this. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule love your neighbour as yourself. You see, love, says Paul, does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. James goes even further and he says it calls this the royal law. We love our neighbour as ourselves and we focus on that, and that will lead us into righteousness through jesus so the commandments are there to show us how to love god and how to live with each other in love just as important then now as it was back in those in moses's day so god becomes the focus of our lives the first commandment tells us we need to make god the focus of our lives if our lives are devoted to him Everything else will quickly fall into place because he wants the very best for us. As we reflect on his holiness and values, they soon become our values. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We hide God's word in us. We focus on him. He becomes the focus of our attention and everything else comes into life. In the Christian life, our lives are transformed by living on a higher moral plane than simply do's and don'ts. Jesus wants to have our lives transformed by living on a higher plane than simply obeying a list of do's and don'ts. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you will find that this does precisely that. He illustrated this in the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees of his day used the law as a means of controlling people, almost imprisoning them in their restrictions. The must-nots, far from liberating people, in that like we did saw in that pleasure part, uh, ground them down into unwarranted legislation. So that even when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, it was regarded uh, at one occasion as work. You've got a chance. You can be healed on any other day. Don't have it done on the Sabbath. And therefore wrong and should be done on other days. It was this hardness of heart that so set Jesus against them. Can you understand that? That that we are drawing, Jesus is drawing us away from uh, uh, the law into something different. He said that life in the kingdom that he'd come to establish was to be at a much higher level, one tempered by grace and love. Somebody once said that the law is rather like uh, the the, the safety net that the high high wire walkers uh, walk on. So you've got the high wire walkers uh, walking across the high wire. That's grace, that's love. If they fall off of that, Then the law is there to catch them. Does that make sense to you? All right. Let's just see what I mean by that. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, and you can read it for yourself in Matthew five. That the law said, "You shall not murder." That's what the law said. You shall not. You read it for yourselves. You heard me say it. You shall not murder. Jesus said, "But I say to you that." In my kingdom, violent anger is also forbidden. There's the law. Here's a higher one. Now, you don't even get angry with your brother. Does that make sense? There's another one. He says, you shall not commit adultery. That's a safety net. That's the law. Jesus said, but I give you a different one. I'm saying you shall not even look lustfully at a woman you shouldn't even have those sort of thoughts does that make sense so he sets his kingdom values higher than the law and if you read through the sermon Mount, you will find he goes over and over and over again he sets his kingdom law if you like his grace at a higher level I don't go down there I go higher does that make sense to you yes can I see some nods right perhaps the first and the last commandments you shall have no other gods before me and uh, you shall not cover are the most significant for our society today the first and the second speak of worshipping other gods if you speak to uh, people uh, out there who are not christians you will find that they actually worship other gods um He, if you think about people nowadays, it's this me-me culture that so dominates, uh, virtually putting ourselves above all else, including husband, wife, children. And it's one of the biggest ills we have. I need me. I, ha- I need me time. I, I, I must be free to do this. I must, and, and, and it, it's coming, I have to say, particularly with feminism about, you know, I, 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 I need my career, I need this, I need that, and, and, and therefore nothing but nothing uh, must, must come into the way of it. So we've got many ruined lives, not least through abortions, through divorce and separation, just so that a person's own lifestyle is not compromised. I cannot possibly put up with any inconvenience in my life. Likewise, there's an insatiable desire, an incessant desire for possessions or looks is also eroding our society. We've seen uh, 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 this, this advent of plastic surgery, of nipping and tucking and, and Botox and, and all that sort of stuff. So anything to make me look younger, I must look younger, I cannot age, I cannot, uh, I've got to look perfect all the time and it's changing uh, society the last commandment says that wanting or desiring anything that belongs to our neighbor whoever that might be is also off limits in Moses' day moses's day it was limited to possessions a husband a wife a men servant maid servant uh, an ox or a donkey uh, anything like that desiring what your neighbor had. What's our desires today? Have you ever thought about that? Where does that come in today? See, for our materialistic society, we're very much in the thrall of money and possessions. You, you've seen, no doubt, in the news that, 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 that the, the governments of the world are wrestling with this issue about how do we link, limit bank uh, profits? How do we limit share dealing? How do we limit this and and, and most of share dealing is in actual fact something that that says I'm going to bet that Rupert's company is going to make money and so therefore I'm going to buy it and then I'll sell it later on and it, it is really gambling it is really wanting almost something for nothing so money, possessions, lifestyle, fame, fortune, body image it all has a particular significance we're hopefully seeing the end of that ghastly program, uh, Big Brother. What's it all about? It's about people who want to become famous, who want to become a celebrity. Celebrity for what? I don't know. I just want to be famous. I want to be famous. I want people to look at me. I want the right. And that's, that's very much what affects uh, our image today and uh, the thinking of many of our young people. There was a survey fairly recently about a university. And many university students were saying, I'd rather have fame than I would a career. I'd rather go into something like that and become a, 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 than become a, a doctor or a lawyer or a solicitor or, or an accountant. So our present economic crisis has come about for a large part through banks and finance houses chasing bigger and bigger profits as well as people remortgaging themselves and taking on debt well beyond their ability to pay and i've read some reports about how people have been in debt to tens of thousands of pounds and they were just ordinary working people and you think what on earth possessed you to get that man to go like that to 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 risk everything on another car or another holiday or, a, or an extension. But that's what we're into. And that's really against the law. It says don't covet. Learn to live with what you've got. And that's something that, that as a people, as a church, we've got to start to do. That doesn't mean to say that you can't have ambition. It doesn't mean to say that you can't have hopes. It doesn't mean to say you can't have aspirations. It doesn't mean to say that you can't want to change jobs or, 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 or advance in a career. Of course it means all of those things. But when that becomes in at the exclusion of everything else, when that comes in so that you can't have a proper family life or you can't have a proper church life, then you're beginning to move into an area of coveting. I'm going to finish here. So what's the conclusion? Well, the message of Ten, Ten Commandments and the cross is to put God first. And then to apply godly principles to our daily lives. Our God-given call is to walk in faith and obedience, seeking to declare the kingdom of God to all we meet, and expecting signs and wonders to follow. As a church, we've uh, in this in this September finishing uh, starting the new year. Uh, we've uh, stopped, uh, or rather, we haven't recommenced our small groups and for the first three weeks of september we're meeting to pray as a church we're meeting to seek god we're meeting to seek god about direction for ourselves we're meeting to seek god to, to, to have him uh, at the center of all we're doing so we started last wednesday we've got this wednesday we've got next wednesday as a church we will be gathering to pray we're also gathering to pray on Sundays as we, as we normally do twice a month. So we're gathering tonight. Can I urge you to come to pray? Uh, our, our prayer meetings aren't silent affairs. Aren't, uh, you don't sit quietly uh, and, and, and ponder and, and wait for, for somebody else to pray before you do. Uh, they tend to be somewhat lively affairs. Uh, and they're good to be I did once not in here not in Gateway uh, when I was in Barnabas um, I did once fall asleep uh, in a prayer meeting worse than that I started snoring uh, in a prayer meeting and uh, had to be woken up quite quickly Um, (laughs) and and saying amen at the end didn't didn't really convince anybody that I'd been uh, snoring in tongues we don't Come on, we pray, we meet together, we're seeking God, we're f- taking, we want to go forward, do we not as a church? We want to see this whole field, we want to see ourselves reaching out. We're going up to Brintague, we're going to reach out into that area up there to, to try and change life, to try and bring the gospel of God into people's lives. Do we not do that? That's what we're seeking to do. We're not comfortable, we're not content with the 60 or so that we've got uh, who don't regularly attend. We want to go beyond. We've got a call of God on our lives. What is that call? To establish a New Testament, Bible-based, Bible-believing, power-filled church here in Wrexham. And then, and it's yet then that we're really seeking God about. And then to reach out into other areas. Then to plant out into other towns and villages around. That's what we feel God has called us to. Do we not? Yes? That's what we're going for. That's what we'd be praying about. So come along, put the Ten Commandments in your life. I know you have. Obey God, love him, love each other. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for these Ten Commandments and the way that they direct us, first of all to you, to love, to worship you, not to take your name in vain, not to have any other gods in our lives. But then, Lord, to look at each other to love each other, to care for each other, not to steal from each other, not to have murderous thoughts, not to have adulterous thoughts, not to cover each other's possessions. Lord, help us as we take these values deep into our lives, as we apply them again and again on a a daily basis, to live up to that, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be a faithful church, believing that you've got more, much more for us than we've experienced this far.